You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. Are you looking for a podcast your whole family can enjoy together? Uh-huh. Check out Culture Kids Podcast. Our adventures will ignite your curiosity for culture, traditions, languages, geography, and even pop culture with interviews from guests all over the world. Through each episode, we aim to help children become empathetic, creative leaders in their communities and help them see the beauty in our differences. And that's Culture Kids Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Uh, the past couple days, like, oh my gosh, red rock mm-hmm. lemurs are so amazing. Their behavior is cool. Holy cow. So we're all on team lemur now. Not that we weren't before. What can they teach us? And then over time, which is so interesting with these lemurs, they carved out their different niches. So some are nocturnal, where others are diurnal. Some live high in the canopy. Some live low. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, let's see. Back to back to back to back to Africa. Here we go. (laughs) Look what you did to us. You made us the Africa Animal Podcast the last few weeks. Well, not quite. Uh, we are not in Africa this week. We are on the island of Madagascar. Right off Africa. But yes, okay, yes, yes you're right, technically. And we've been, you know, and, and we have been wanting to do a lemur forever, forever. And it's like, now's the time all of a sudden we finally get to him. Yes, I mean, and I think it's just a really exciting time for us because we've been waiting for so long to be in Madagascar. I know I have. It's the largest mm-hmm. island nation. I mean, and yes, it is off the southeast coast of Africa, but it's one of the world's hottest biodiversity hotspots. Yeah. That's a lot it of hot is. in the sentence, but it's, it's a hot place to be with a lot of cool, unique wildlife only found in Madagascar. My God, my goodness gracious. Everybody knows there's movies about Madagascar. It's, it's infamous, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 The penguins. Oh my God. I love the penguins from that movie. <laughs> All of it. The lemurs are the are the stars of that movie, right? The lemurs are the stars. Absolutely, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And today we get to talk about lemurs in general, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. But we're going to be focused on the red rough lemur, which is near and dear to my heart. They're at Mm -hmm. the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo. I get to hear them vocalize every week when I'm walking through the area and get to see them interact. And several of my Mm -hmm. students have been doing behavioral observations on them. So I have to give a huge episode shout out to one of my students, Megan Ingsom, that is very lemur crazy and very Mm -hmm. excited about lemurs and got me on board with wanting 
to do this episode sooner than later. So thank you, Megan, uh, for inspiring me. And of course now Chris, cause Chris emailed me, uh, the past couple of days, like, Oh my gosh, red rock mm-hmm. lemurs are so amazing. Their behavior is cool. Holy cow. So we're all on team lemur now. Not that we weren't before oh, yeah. because we have been wanting to do this episode for a while, but it was really hard to pick which species to cover. I know. I wanted ringtail. I wanted ringtail. I mean, you know, you I've seen friends on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, I tried. I tried, <laughs> you know. And yeah, you know, I have friends on Instagram where they go in now and they, they interact with the lemurs. I know, you know, in New Zealand at the Hamilton Zoo, you know, shout out to Jesse down there. They do that interaction. You know, I wanted to do it with the kids, but you know, Angie, what you, you fought hard for Red Rock. I mean, you didn't fought hard. You just said, Hey, I want to do Red Rock. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that's how I, I fight. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> and you know, when I was volunteering at the San Antonio Zoo years and years ago, I got to feed the Red Ruffs and, and play with them, but I didn't realize they're critically endangered. I didn't know that. Like that, my jaw hit the ground when I, when I heard that one, I was like, Whoa. Okay. I didn't know they were that endangered. I knew they were in trouble, but wow. 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 Well, yeah. And as we're going to talk today about lemurs in general a little bit is most of them on Madagascar are either endangered or threatened or mm-hmm. critically endangered like the red ruffed. And so I, several species have even gone extinct. I know. And... I know. And I was going to say like, we're going to, we're going to go, you know, starting next week, a different place on earth with different animals and, you know, I kind of joked with Angie maybe. about Africa, but I mean, maybe, but she was just, <laughs> we'll see. She was just there. And I mean, to have that experience and then share that with the listeners is, is amazing. And, you know, we just happened to, to really want to cover lemurs now as we head into the end of the year. And they're just, they're amazing. So it's like a wonderful podcast. We have a lot of great information to share. Uh, just, you know, Angie, I had a friend, Darina, talk to me the other day about the podcast and she's like, I love your podcast, but it's so sad. And, it made me think, yeah, the news is horrible. It sucks. Like it's just be, you know, it, it it's not good, great news everywhere. And today's no exception, but I told her, I, you know, I said, you got to realize what we're doing is spreading the information and there is good news because people are fighting. And today we're going to share some of that good news because as Angie said, Madagascar is a hot spot. It, it, but the whole eyes of the world, especially in conservation are on Madagascar. So that means people are on the ground trying to make a difference. And I'm going to say this again. You listening to this podcast are making a difference and you can make even a greater difference. You know, you share this information, either share the podcast or just say, hey, gosh, yeah, I didn't know this about red rough lemurs. Did you know about lemurs? Blah, 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 blah. You do that and you make alterations to your lifestyle. You become a conservation hero. So, and that's kind of where I was getting across with her. I was like, well, you know, just last week, Angie and I were talking and I was saying, God, you know, I, I'm, I bought some plastic water bottles and I feel horrible. And so now I'm like, it, it made me realize and all week I've been carrying around my reusable water bottle. I refuse to Yay, buy plastic. Good job. Yes. Yeah. If we all make those small alterations collectively, we're going to make a difference. So. Mm-hmm. And I think, yes, and definitely one of the ways, easy ways you can help us is to, uh, subscribe, rate and review us it will be a mm-hmm. great help and share this podcast. Everybody likes lemurs. Yes. I, I don't yes. think I challenge somebody out there to 
show me a family relative or a friend that don't think the lemurs are adorable and cute and fun. It's, it's, it's really impossible. They're kind of like koalas. Every, mm-hmm. you, you have to love them. And for instance, the reason I bring up koalas is because my mom just this week came to me almost in tears about the crisis with the koalas and all the fires that are mm-hmm. happening in Australia. And of course my mom knows about the podcast. She's our number one fan and listens and, but she was unaware of the plight of the koala until she heard about it on the news, like on the, you know, mm-hmm. on the mainstream media news here in the States. And so it was really cool. Just opened up this conversation that we had and just talking to her about, it. I'm like, Oh, well, these are some things we can do. And, you know, maybe at your house, you could change this or, or I can help you do this. And so it just really opened up the door to having a good conversation and making positive steps forward, not only for koalas because they're cute and adorable um, and they're in crisis in Australia, but for other species. And I think the lemur is kind of a gateway animal that can do that. For all of our listeners out there who are obviously huge animal fans and animal dorks like us and just want to learn more and learn more, but this would probably be a good pod to share and maybe get somebody else who's not as into it Crazy. interested yeah. or at least talking about it. And especially as we move here into the holiday season, I know with my family, what we do uh, as a, with the adults in the family, instead of giving gifts, we do donations um, anywhere from 25 to $50 for the, the relative that you get that you pick. And so we're going to provide you today with two amazing le- lemur conservation groups that if you did want to gift them money um, would be a, in somebody's name. It's an amazing mm-hmm. gift, right? Like nobody needs mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. bowls and t- t-shirts and I always need more socks. Everybody knows yes. I need more socks. I always <laughs> use socks. It's a real, I have a real crisis. It's a real problem. Yeah, especially with kids. Yeah. Other than that, socks and then just donate money in my name. Donate money in Chris and yeah. I's name. Donate money in the yeah. All Creatures Podcast name. Or for any friend and family, I think you'll, you'll, you'll really feel good about it. Um, but if you can't donate, I feel you. Times can be tough. And so then that's when, like Chris did, get rid of that plastic water bottle. Uh, yeah, turn yeah, your heat down a notch at nighttime or little things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or join us on Patreon, one cappuccino a month. She <laughs> says spend your money elsewhere for five bucks, you know, we're, uh, <laughs> We actually are releasing uh, Kangaroo for our Patreon listeners. It should be up there now for them. You know, species I will tell a month, you fun but... Kangaroo stories from when I worked with them. Yeah. They were yeah. amazing. And we donate each month to a conservation organization that our Patreon subscribers vote for. But no, it's a great point, Angie. And, and I wanted to give a, a couple shout outs to, you know, Allie Court, who gave us a beautiful review on iTunes. You know, just to sum it up, she said, I love the, the mix of pure animal information with the interviews with professionals in the field. It uh, started to reignite her fuel that was put on hold because she had kids and life came through. Uh, she said, put, you know, keep up the good work and listen. Her six-year-old requests this in the car, which is, this is great for kids. You oh, know, it, that's it's, so cool. I know. I know. I, I know. That. So Allie, thank you. You know, out to you. Uh, shout out to your kids. And then just, I have to give a shout out to, to Anthony Mangiola on Instagram. Here's a 16-year-old who reached out to us. And said he wanted to start his own podcast that we had inspired him to start his own podcast and talk about animals with some humor in it. And so I'm giving, you know, giving him some guidance on there, helping him out. You know, I think it's, it's amazing story. Anthony, keep it up. Keep up the passion. 16 doing this. Like 
yay. Like this, yeah. Amazing. Amazing, dude. You're, you're, you're one of my heroes now. Absolutely. Follow your passion. Uh, like to hear that. And I'm like, you tell me what you need and I will give you all the advice I can. You know, how we started and here we are going into year three, you know, with listeners all around the world. So, you know, Anthony, keep it up. Keep up the passion. You're going to make a difference. I promise you, you will make a difference. So let's talk Madagascar, Angie. Madagascar. Now we know, like you said, environmental hotspots where, you know, there's so many issues that, you know, I want to talk about setting this all up for the lemurs and what's going on there. Now, Madagascar is a little bit bigger than my home state, California, where I live. It's about 226,000 square miles or 587,000 square kilometers. So big, big, you know, pretty big with about 25 million people. And it's the only place where lemurs are found Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as of several flora and fauna. Oh, I had fun. Only found in Madagascar. Yeah. Yeah. Evolution was interesting and it's, it's a little. Uh, convoluted, but I, I break it down um, and keep it short. But so Madagascar was covered. A third of the island was covered with forests. And there's a, there's a good website I'm going to put up on our show notes, wildmadagascar.org. And you can read more about this. This is where the, most of the lemurs live and a lot of wildlife. Well, this is where habitat destruction is having a massive effect on many species there. One of the things that's happening is with all this deforestation, you're getting massive erosion of soil and topsoil where astronauts looking at Madagascar, they say it looks like it's bleeding to death because Madagascar has that red clay soil. Okay. And because mm-hmm. of so much erosion, it is going into the ocean and they are losing a lot of the soil nutrients. And today, a third of the country burns and about 1% of its forests are leveled each year. And it's already been like massively deforest, deforested. So what's going on? Similar to what we saw in the Amazon. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Slash and burn agriculture. You know, this is where they're going in, cutting down the trees, let the trees dry and they go in and burn it and then go in and plant crops or let cattle graze. And then they move on because it's not sustainable. So this is what's going on in Madagascar. Another thing, major, major problem is logging for timber. So ebony and rosewood. So at the end, I'm going to talk about conservation tip. Only buy sustainable wood. 80% of Madagascar is gone. Yeah, bamboo. It's a good one. It's a good one. But since 1950, so in what last 70 years, 80% of Madagascar's forests are gone. Ouch. Are gone. Yeah. Yeah. And not a long period of time. No, no. And it's had a massive effect. Again, why it's such a hot spot. Charcoal production. You know, these, you know, they're not wealthy. It's not a wealthy nation. So they're making charcoal for, you know, making fires and cooking and things like that. Then you have other things like animal exploitation, pet trade. Lemurs don't make good pets, you know, and, and not so much. I don't know if we see this in the United States, but around the world, as well as reptiles are being taken out of Madagascar too. Well, and I think that that's one of the problems when we think of lemurs, a lot of times they can be found pretty prevalent in zoos and they're in movies and things like that. And so people just assume that they're not endangered. 
that there's a lot of them. Oh, if I see them when I go to the zoo or Mm -hmm. gosh forbid on the pet trade, which that's just a horrible idea. And we'll talk about their stinky stink glands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're kind of around and there's so many different species of them. It's hard to theoretically keep track. And so I think that's why even for you, Chris, who knows a lot and have worked with lemurs before, it's pretty shocking to know that there are so many of the species that are endangered, threatened, or critically endangered, especially like the red roughed lemur. And so mm-hmm. I think that that can be a misnomer when we see things that are, yeah, like either in the pet trade sometimes, even though they shouldn't be, or maybe prevalent in zoos. But the reason, for instance, red roughed lemurs are often prevalent in zoos is because they're part of the SSP, the Species Survival Plan, to help breed them according to their genetics so they're not the population is an inbred and basically to keep this life raft of red rough lemurs over here in the U S and I think European accredited mm-hmm. European zoos as well, because they are so threatened in Madagascar. It's really yeah. quite scary. It's devastating. I mean, it's been devastating and it's rapid. This is not happening over hundreds of years. This is like we said, the last 70 years, it has, has been a rapid change and this kind of, you know, continuation of what we talked about last week with the Anthropocene, the African penguin, how humans are infecting the environment and massive loss of biodiversity. So why does this matter? Why does Madagascar matter? Well, first of why all, do this lemurs is one matter. Of, oh, I can't wait yeah, to get there. They're so important, but this is one of the most unique biomes on earth. I mean, one of the I know, most, I, and I know when well, we've been talking about Africa, obviously just, I came back recently I've not been to Madagascar and I don't know about you, but preparing for this pod this week, I'm like, Oh, why didn't I go there in my twenties? Duh. I know. I know. Like, ah, somebody from Madagascar, please listen to us and invite us there. Um, I, I have to get there now. I have to. The species are mm-hmm. so cool and so unique and yeah, it's on my bucket list for sure. Yeah. It's just one, you have over 200,000 known unique species in Madagascar. I mean, completely only found there. The size yes, of California. Yes. And, yeah. And I'll get to the, you or know, France. how they've been I, isolated. That's another, that was another size. Size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if, you know, obviously we're all animal nuts. This is podcast, but there's also going to be a human catastrophe. It's in the making right now. When they lose their forest, it turns into desertification. We talked about that in elephants a few weeks ago. When you take away the native wildlife, you can't sustain an environment. You just can't. And so now no. you're going to, you're going to have a human catastrophe on your hands with 25 million people living there. Sure. And it's, and Chris and I obviously being animal experts, we always shy away from our request to do any insects, which we've definitely had a few and <laughs> a bunch. Uh, bees being a very, very important insect mm-hmm. as a pollinator for human food and keeping our supplies up. And so it is very interesting, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit out of our, our realm of comfort. Right. Uh, right. although I feel like I have been one of my behavior classes lately. I've been talking a lot about bee behavior just because it is so cool. But anyway, the lemurs are critical for their ecosystem role. Red rough lemurs, for instance, they have these long fox-like snouts, which we'll get to when we describe them for those of you that aren't familiar with what they look like. But when they're feeding on nectars of flowers, which they like to do, they stick this long nose deep into the flower. It gets covered with pollen. And as they move to the next flower, 
they carry the pollen with them and then that mm -hmm. flower gets pollinated. And this is an important role for several different varieties of flowers and plants, let alone that they're frugivores and they eat a lot of fruit because mm -hmm. they poop seeds, which Chris and I have talked right. a lot about that in the podcast. And so it's just as a pollinator and a seed disperser, that's a, it's critical. It's critical for several other plant species on the island. Yeah. And they're the, they're the world's largest pollinator. So out of all the animals on earth that pollinate, they are the world's largest are what? these lemurs. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Bigger than, yeah. you yeah. mean not including bees? No, I mean, I'm not saying total land area. I'm saying physically the biggest, physically oh, the okay. biggest pollinator on earth. Yeah. So yeah. You know, I did not know that before I started yeah. researching these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Well, and I just want to get, I just want that visual. I got to find a picture mm -hmm. online of the visual of them with their long little black snouts covered in pollen. Like how do I that? I know. I know. And I just want to end this, you know, where there's hope, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. I found this incredibly interesting. There's more money going into Madagascar than any other place near Africa, you know, African continent or Madag you know, Madagascar. There's a ton of money going there. To promote conservation money or yes, conservation, okay. environmentalists. That's where, you know, like we said, it's a huge hotspot. So many organizations are banding together and doing their best to reverse these trends. And for example, I just read Omaha's Henry Dorley Zoo announced recently that with Madagascar Biodiversity Partnership, that they've planted 3 million trees. Oh, so I love. Omaha Zoo. Yeah. They are amazing. Yeah. They do, they actually do a really incredible job with their uh, reproductive physiology research as well. Yes. They had a postdoc yes. that I wanted to apply for, but it was a little too far away from home. So yeah, it's, it's a long commute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, and, and again, it just shows how zoos are making a difference. You know, it's it, zoos are, are putting money. They're investing in the wild because that is what they do. They do conservation work. And so shout out to them and what they're doing because, like we said, we, we need to reverse these trends in Madagascar because these things are gorgeous. These are Yeah, let's talk the about them. Funnest uh... animals. Oh, they're so fun. They're so fun. So Angie, I, you always do an amazing job describing these animals. The only thing I want to say before you get going on, on describing them because they're, they're so beautiful is rough lemurs get their name because they have the thick hair on their ears, right? That's the roughed look of all the lemurs. I would call it on their ears, but I would also call it uh, Elvis sideburn. Yes, it yes. goes from there you go. where their ears are all the way down uh, kind of underneath their chin. And yes, it is this mm -hmm. beautiful ruff of red hair that is thick and fluffy and soft, but it's extra complemented by their black face. So they have black face and hands, feet, belly, and then their bodies are this rust color too. So mm -hmm. they have this rust, the rust colored sideburns or rough, if you will, a red rust colored body that matches, and then a very distinct black tail and black face and black hands. Mm -hmm. And then just, to, just when they couldn't get cute and colorful enough, they're tricolor. So they actually have a patch of white fur at the back of their head or their nape that is cream colored, white, white cream colored, also very thick 
thick hair and they'll have pink patches on the back of their hind limbs. And several people will argue that this contrast of colors and distinct fluffiness will make the red rough lemur one of the most beautiful lemurs out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I have to agree, they're just they're just darling. And then they have you know this long snout, almost fox like, if you will, but very yeah, that's based. a good description, yeah. Yeah. And big eyes and just very charismatic faces. I think, mm-hmm. in my opinion, most, most primates do in general. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, just the coloring and the fluffiness. They're just in the way they manipulate their hands and just the way they move and interact with one another. Uh, they're just a fun, fun, fun species to watch. Uh, I spent a lot of time, of course, at the zoo looking at them and watching them in awe. But then also this past week preparing for the podcast, watching a lot of videos and just, just mm-hmm. being charmed mm-hmm. by their, their movements and their social behaviors and their, and their intelligence, which we'll talk about more as we get towards the end of the podcast. Yeah. And they're actually one of the larger, if not the largest lemurs, they weigh up to 10 pounds or four and a half kilograms. Uh, their head body length's about 20 inches or 50 centimeters and their tail is longer than their body at 24 inches or 60 centimeters. Their so, tail is so charming. I oh. know, I know, I know. It's, it's really beautiful. Now, Red rough lemurs are, they have a really restrictive range and there's a hundred, you know, I'll get to it. We're going to start talking about evolution next, but there's 105 species of lemur on Madagascar. And these ones are in the northeast corner, kind of on a peninsula. It's called the Masoala Peninsula near the Mora Stretra in northern Madagascar. I butchered that as usual. But <laughs> I think you did okay. I I was struggling too, my friend. And I was just gonna is... I was just gonna say the northeast area, but good for you. Kudos. But yeah, and they're they're east of the oh my goodness, this is a big word. Antena Mabalana River, which divides the range between them and the black and white rough lemurs. Yes, yeah, so this is relative. Mm-hmm. Here, I'll play quiz game because it's always fun to quiz you. Can you remember a species we covered where the river differentiated between the two subspecies? Where it's a big river and there was the eastern and then the western types of this like species. Like a bridge over <laughs> troubled water. Singing. <laughs> um, I'm singing because I have not a clue. Uh, okay, he's patting his chest. This is charades. <laughs> um, oh, Eastern and Western lowland gorillas. Yeah. 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 Yes, if you remember thank you back for the charades. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you go it back was the charades that gave me the answer, but yeah. in, it's, it's uh, starting to come back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we covered them so long ago, but, and it's so fun. I always see, I told, did I say this last week where I see downloads from Uganda and it's like, it makes me so excited that I'm like, I bet you they're listening to the gorilla episode before they go up into the mountains and see them. That makes me so happy. That makes me so happy. I think I said that, but anyways, I want to say it again. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Chris, but what I found really interesting too was that the red rough lemurs and then this closest relative that lives across the river, the black and white rough lemurs, they can hybridize. And there's, I was reading that there's debate if they are separate species or of course, again, if they're separate subspecies. And this is, I was reading a lot about too, as far as, the number of species 
on the island of Madagascar can change because of better molecular genetics and being able to figure out how closely they are related. And so I don't remember with Eastern and Western lowland gorillas if they could hybridize or if they could breed. I don't remember. I don't, yeah, I don't know I if we covered that. that. But, yeah, I mean, they're part of now, the same genus. Now, typically they wouldn't because, yeah, and for, mm. and with the red-roofed lemurs, typically they wouldn't because, well, there's this huge river, you know, separating the two species, which is mm-hmm. actually a type of speciation that I got to talk about when I was teaching ecology this past fall called allopatric mm-hmm. speciation. So that's when, oh, okay. a, when a land barrier or some kind of geographical barrier, I should say, because it could be land mm-hmm. and water, separates two species. And then, of course, they speciate into their own type of uh, animal. And, so, And that takes that takes thousands and thousands of years. I mean, oh, t- that's crazy. Tens, hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. uh, just looking at the red rough lemur and the black and white rough lemur tells you enough that there's a big difference there, right? As far as Mm -hmm. their their colorations. Mm -hmm. And then there has to be a lot, uh, there's a lot of usually other morphological differences too, whether it's skull shape or, uh, you know, things like that. So, but, but researchers are finding out more and more of how, how they are or are not related. But regardless, I don't think that that should, and I don't think it is, but that shouldn't, um, stop us fighting for them. They are critically endangered. There's not that many of them on the island. Did you find a count? Uh, IUCN it's, in 2012, it was, it's kind of dated. It was 2012 and it just said the population mm-hmm. was decreasing and critically endangered, but I couldn't find a number. Right. No, the last number given was in the 90s at 50,000, but they know that's way under that now. Oh yeah, so definitely. I saw estimates of, of as low as 10,000 maybe and wow. the black and white roughs a thousand. So they're, oh, they're in big trouble geez. too. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Now lemurs, I mean, interesting to go through this evolution. Like Angie said, there's a lot of debate ongoing. So I'll water this down for everybody, but you know, basically primate evolution, we go back 80 million years ago in Africa and the lemurs belong to the prosimians, which mm-hmm. are more primitive primates. So the lemurs, the loris, and then there's the adaptiforms, which were early primates that are extinct. And then you have the simians, which the monkeys, apes, and humans. Now, like I said, ringtail is one of my favorite lemurs, but there's 105 species that we know of, and, and that's still being debated. It, it, it's still doing that. Yeah, I think it's still being debated. Like the Duke Lemur Center, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about them in the podcast. They're in the States, and they do a lot, a lot, a lot of conservation work on lemurs. They say 80 or so. So I think it depends on if you're adding mm. subspecies in there and, and it's, it's ongoing. The number's ongoing. Oh yeah. It's a huge debate. It's a huge debate. I know, Chris, I, whether there's 80 or 105 or somewhere in the middle or a little bit more, I was shocked by how many species there, there were. If you would have quizzed me last week on how many species, species of lemurs there are, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I want our audience to know that you and I are not perfect. I know it's shocking and we still have a lot to learn, but I probably would have said like 20, maybe 15, yeah. 20. Yeah. Maybe 30 max. I had max. no idea maybe. that diversity, not a clue. Clearly I need to go to Madagascar or study more lemurs. That's, that was my take home message this week. <laughs> oh, I was, I was like, yeah, a hundred species of lemur. Are you kidding me? Are you That's kidding nuts, me? Right. Yeah. It, it was, it was crazy. And, and lots have, and so, a fair amount have gone extinct. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. But recently. 
So they're part of the superfamily Lemuroidae, but the taxonomy, like you said, gets very complex. There's eight families, 15 genus or genera, and about, you know, 100 species. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. Now, Madagascar, you know, what, what makes this interesting is because again, you know, the size of California split from the African Indian landmass about 88 million years ago. So that's when it, it was became isolated. Mm-hmm. Now, lemur evolution started about 63 million years ago in Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we know that they didn't start in Madagascar. It started in Africa from that, that relative. You know, so about 20 million years, they evolved from that very, very primitive primate. Then, how did they get to the island? I but they know, landed. I love this. I know. I love this. <laughs> they landed on Madagascar about 40 million years ago by? A raft, we think. Or they think. Mm-hmm. The scientists think. Yeah. A raft yep. made of large clumps of vegetation. That floated over. And then, whoa, paradise. Because guess what? There's no predators. There's none. Very few. Not at the Very time. Few. Yes. Yeah. No, yes. Well, not not then. At then, when they landed, there, oh, there was, was nothing no, there. It was. Oh, there was no fossa. Not there. Not yet. Mm. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So I don't know how the fossa came over. That was probably a bad. Well, they day probably were like, I'm getting, I'm getting on a raft too. Like, all you know, all smart people. Like, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm gonna go, yeah. go uh, find a new country to live in. That's awesome. Yeah. You see, you take out the fossa that movie Madagascar. They're having a party. Like that's what it was like for them for a long time. It was just you know they got to spread out and and evolve from there. And then over time, which is so interesting with these lemurs, they carved out their different niches. So some are nocturnal, where others are diurnal. Some live high in the canopy. Some live low. Like they just have all these individual niches that it's just crazy. So there's, there's two time frames where lemurs really diversified. And the first was between 30 and 40 million years ago. And so the weather was changing around the planet. So that kind of affected, you know, Madagascar itself. So they, the species had to adapt. Then carnivores arrived around 25 million years ago. So for 15 million years, they had it good. You know, there was That's nothing there. Awesome. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and no the fossa people were... cutting down their forests. So I know, I know. Paradise, like you said. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. It's been people got there around 400 uh, CE Common Era. So the fossa, other carnivores, we're, we're going to explore the fossa for sure. I think within the next year, that's a species on our list. Then about 10 million years ago, there was another major diversification that took place, and this is when. Indian monsoons, so the continents were kind of set and Indian monsoons started coming through and a lot of rainfall. So that changed the environment. Now, specifically red rough lemurs, so they're part of the genus Varencia. So it's the rough lemurs. So you had the red roughs and the black and white rough lemurs. So they're Varencia rubra is the red rough lemurs. Now, I found this interesting. The other types of lemurs, okay, the ring-tailed lemur is the only alive lemur in the genus lemur. <laughs> it used to all be the genus lemur. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the no genus lemur has the... No wonder you wanted to the... cover it. You could just be done right um, there. You'd be done and move so on. Cool. I know. They're lima cotta. And then the true lemurs are the other classification where it has a bunch of species. You have the brown lemur. And then the one I wanted to highlight was the blue-eyed black lemur. That's actually one of the most endangered primates on earth with less than a thousand left. And I was so excited when I saw him at the San Diego zoo a few months back, like I was giddy 
giddy when I saw them. I was like, oh my gosh. I think I texted you. I'm like, you did. Look what they have yeah. here. Look you what they have here. You were pushing for that lemur too as well. Well, we'll cover. I we'll know. cover them all. We've got time. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we only have a hundred of them. So, you know, between that and all the other, the, the squirrels. <laughs> It'll just be a squirrel lemur podcast. I think we would have a lot of fans. All right. So my favorite part of evolution, the largest lemur ever, Angie. Ooh. It doesn't matter. It's cute. Can I hug it? Like that's as I... tall as my husband. Six feet? Yeah. What do we got? Uh, not as tall, but weighed up to 350 pounds. Oh, was dear about Lord. The size. Yes. No, my husband does not weigh that much. <laughs> it was the size of a male gorilla. And this was Archaeodendris. Oh, wait. Hold on. Archaeodendris fontonointi. Okay. It's a big word. So, largest lemur ever. They found fossil evidence. Uh, died out millions of years ago. So huge lemur, the size of a gorilla, that's <laughs> running around. But at least it probably ate fruit. <laughs> Wouldn't eat. It me. would like hug you, but like accidentally squeeze you to death. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, fun. Yeah. So you know, lemurs. These specific red ruffs generally live fifteen to twenty years in the wild. They and uh, under human care, they can live up to twenty five. So it's pretty good. For a primate. Mm-hmm. And again, they're a primate, so they have fingernails like humans. Their tails, you know, they use it for balance and communication, which Angie's going to talk about. You know, it's non-prehensile, so they don't use it to grasp, but it is important. You have five fingers, five toes, each arm and leg, but they have this thing, a long claw on their second back toe called the toilet claw. It's <laughs> they use for grooming. <laughs> well, like, I was what? reading about their tooth comb. Their front yes. teeth are literally like, we'll put, we can put a picture on our show notes, but zoomed mm-hmm. in, it looks, their first six teeth look like a comb. And that's what it they is for a lot of, uh, a lot of aloe grooming and self Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that, I thought that was fascinating. And, you know, it's one of those things we always talk about convergent evolution where unrelated species develop something similar. We talked about this little rat looking thing a couple weeks ago with the elephants. The hyrex has that mm-hmm. and some antelope species have that. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. Yeah. And they use it to like strip bark or husks of fruit, things like that. But lemurs use it to, to clean themselves with this toilet claw, which I think is interesting. And now think certain t- tooth comb. Yeah. Their tooth comb. They can jump up to 25 feet or seven and a half meters, which is pretty That's far. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. They run about 12 miles per hour or 20 kilometers per hour. And today they do have predators, the fossa, which is a really unique predator, hawks, snakes. So, you know, they, they do have things to, to look out for in the environment today. And now humans obviously is their major one. Yeah. Chris, I just want to add in about their scent glands and this for anybody out there who loves lemurs as much as you and I, but is maybe considering that they would want one for a pet or something like that. This is the part of the podcast where I will hopefully persuade you as cute as lemurs are. They definitely belong either in the wild or in an AZA accredited facility where they have lots of room and lots of things to rub their stinky scent glands on mm-hmm. because they have specialized areas of skin throughout their body that produce scent secretions. And they'll use these scent secretions to communicate tons of information to other lemurs about themselves. In certain species of lemurs get into these 
interactions called stink fights. Yeah. <laughs> and this is especially no, your ringtail lemur. Okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, they will basically make all these alarm calls, do all these things, and we'll talk a lot about their vocalizations here shortly. Um, but they have these scent glands on their feet and their butts, and they've been known to rub their tails in their own scents and then shake it, their stinky scents. Okay, it's not perfume. Mm-hmm. It's funky, funky chicken odor. And they rub the tails on, the, on their scent glands, stink it all up, and then they shake the tail at their opponent. <laughs> it's like it could smell worse. So, do you want that in your house? I don't think so. No. 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 No, you don't. It's very important for how they communicate in the wild. Absolutely. And a stink fight probably helps them avoid really heavy conflict and getting hurting mm-hmm. one another. But yes, that is not what you want in your house. So, um yeah. yes. <laughs> Proceed not with good. caution. Not- yeah, not good, not good. They, they're, but they're beautiful to look at, and that's why we need to to keep fighting and, and understanding these animals. Now, we already talked about Angie. You know, said they're fruitivores. That's what they eat. You know, similar digestive system to other primates, but their cecum's a little bit larger to ferment some of that stuff. So probably makes them help helps make them a little extra stinky. They, you know, they, they're they're. Their metabolism is kind of interesting that when like food resources are low, they can kind of not toper, but not almost hibernate, but just slow down their metabolism and yeah, they can not slow burn down off those reserves. Rate, which is, yeah, Chris, that slowing down their metabolism and being able to do well when it's a dry season and when uh, feed or food is scarce uh, and even adapt to maybe eating some le- leaves and seeds and go into a semi toper slow metabolism or mm. hibernation like state totally se- separates them from monkey species of monkeys uh, that's not seen so very unique and very and very adaptable for the different um for the different climates that can be found in Madagascar and of course this is generalizing for most species not all species of lemurs are the same no, no, you're right. They're not. And, you know, we're, we're definitely going to revisit a lemur in the next year or two, I'm sure, because there's some other ones that are just crazy fun to, to talk about. Now, besides these stink wars, what other kind of behaviors do they do? Because they are fascinating to watch and vocalizations oh, and all that gosh. fun stuff. Stink fights. That's, I just, let's end with stink fights. That's a great visual. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but no, well, as we mentioned, each lemur is going to behave somewhat differently. They're going to have different morphology. They're going to have somewhat different diets and social systems and activity patterns, locomotion, communication, predator avoidance, breeding systems, depending on where they live, how they evolve, and things like that. And so from, on a species-to-species basis, it is going to be somewhat different, which is just, I mean, that just goes to show how biodiverse and how unique the island of Madagascar is. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just incredible. And so for red rough lemurs, what's really interesting is the habitat is going to determine a lot of their social system. So in some parts of the forest, red rough lemurs are going to live into, live with groups of anywhere from 18 to 30 individuals. But in other areas, depending on the resources available and the habitat, it only might be anywhere from two to five individuals. 
So it can be even in that small region that they live in in the Northeast, mm-hmm. it can it can be very variable. And what's really, really cool, I think, yay for women power, is that lemurs live in matriarchal groups. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm, I would have never guessed really, that in a primate. Yeah, I would have never guessed that. It's yeah. very, it's rare in general in um, mm-hmm. in the mammal world. In fact, mm-hmm. hyenas are known to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk a lot about orcas and their behavior and their matriarchal lineage, but it's it's it, it's pretty rare in general. Um, and yes, especially in a primate species, uh, for the females to dominate. And well, it's because the males stink. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> yes, boys are stinky. Everybody knows that. I'm glad. I'm glad that that's out there. Um, but no, no, it's. But all jokes aside, Chris, it really does have scientists kind of baffled, because mm-hmm. when you look at lemurs, we talked briefly about their size. There's not a lot of sexual dimorphism between the males and females. Mm-hmm. What that means is they're similar in color and they're similar in size, and so. A lot of species, similar to humans, the male is going to be bigger, right? Bigger, potentially tougher, yada, blada. And so in lemurs, they're both the same size and they don't really know why the females aren't smaller and led by the males. But a recent theory has been introduced that perhaps females need more resources in order to raise their offspring, their babies, because we'll talk about that. They can give birth to up to six infants. Wow. Anywhere at three wow. is average, but that's a lot more than really. Most. Yeah. I thought they were singleton. Yeah. No way. No mm-hmm. way. Wow. Well, okay. It's wow. Th- up six? to six. They can nurse six at a time. However, the average is three, but because of this, that females need more resources and therefore, when you need resources, what happens? You get scrappy and you get tough and mm-hmm. you fight harder. And mm-hmm. you fight harder for food resources and you scare those boys off and you basically let those no. boys know that you know what? I'm tough. <laughs> I have to be tough. So get get yeah. out of here. And so <laughs> the males in in turn are no dummies. They know that any all wildlife knows that fighting is hard, right? There's a mm-hmm. cost benefit mm-hmm. analysis that I don't know if analysis is the right word, but most wildlife will pause for a second to determine if they want to get in a fight or not. And they're usually trying not to because fights can be so costly from an energetics point standpoint or from getting wounded, things like that. So it seems like with lemurs, the males have basically said, you know what? How about I all sit back and enjoy the ride and the women take mm-hmm. charge. Mm-hmm. So really, really interesting. Um, in, gen- in general, lemurs aren't very aggressive with one another or with other types of lemurs. They will occasionally get into scuffles about territory and things like that, but they're not too, you know, they're not, they're not too aggressive. And with red rough lemurs, especially their social se- system is going to vary a little bit, which is really interesting because this doesn't happen so much in other species of lemurs. So a red rough lemur will break from a larger group to form a smaller group when foraging. And so the red ruffs during the wet season, when the fruit is plentiful, they'll form these huge groups and just forage all peaceful and happily. It's just like everybody come to the party and let's eat. 
What's unique is during the dry season when there's not that much food, they'll break up into these smaller groups and just go off and try to try to get enough food. And hopefully they can. And that's not seen in a lot of the other uh, lemur species. So it's really cool that they have kind of evolved this pattern to know like, hey, let's all come together and party when we can, when the food is yeah. abundant. And then when it's not, <laughs> each man for their own. <laughs> I'm out of here. Like that movie. I, when you have yourself. kids, you watch that movie. Uh, you watch that movie a million times. I just, I just imagine them all together having a party. <laughs> yeah, the music yeah. and everything. Just, but they are very uh, social in general, and they, they do spend a lot of time grooming one another with social grooming or allo grooming. Mm-hmm. And once again, they have that lower incisor, that, that comb tooth, front teeth, right. and then, of course, like you said, the claw. And so it helps initiate and support this behavior, which you know helps keep the, the family groups together. Um, and keeps their fur fluffy and that it's almost like wool. I probably didn't even describe it that great in the beginning of the podcast, but it's just, it's very thick yeah. and fluffy. And, and so they mm-hmm. need to do a lot of grooming to maintain that. And again, going back to that party, but it's it just, I remember, you know, doing some behavior studies there too with my students, you know, how loud they are because they would be like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, those are the lemurs. Like just so boisterous. You mean loud like this? That's my kind of party. I mean, you hear that and you're like, what is dying over there? Like, it's so loud. It's so, yeah. they're so loud. They're so it's loud. So you're not crazy sure if it's a party you want to be at or not. Like now, no. now I'm in my 40s and I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not sure. If, <laughs> I'm not I'll sure pass on that one. Yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> it, it, it's past my bedtime. Oh, yeah. Goodness. They are loud. They are very loud. They are very, mm-hmm, very loud. Mm-hmm. But Chris, this communication is Super critical important. Uh, red-breathed lemurs are among the most vocal of non-human primates. And they have several vocalizations. We only heard a little bit there to convey a number of different distinct messages. In fact, the Duke Lemur Center, uh, which we'll talk about here towards the end of the podcast, because we have to go there, Chris. We have to. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. They're amazing. And I know we talked about it's loud and it, 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 it is loud. Uh, you won't be able to really appreciate that probably on the audio and the podcast. It's just something you have to experience. So definitely go to your local accredited zoo, but it's loud because they need to alert their family members, uh, that there is a predator and that needs to be able to reach that farthest away member and or to communicate about territory. So. It's really important. And a lot of times what will happen is one will get going and then the other ones will just join in and it becomes this just, and it just becomes this loud chorus that if you're not familiar with a lemur, you are really surprised with what is going on here. <laughs> you know, it's just very, very intense, um, but beautiful. And once again, they're super intelligent. And I think that they're, overlooked as a species of primate. Uh, we tend to focus on great apes and lesser apes, things like that. But lemurs 
are super intelligent. They have the ability to learn patterns, have object discrimination skills. In fact, some studies have shown that they can learn tasks that might be too complex for apes and monkeys, like organizing sequences from memory and performing simple arithmetic. And they can also be trained to use tools, which of course is, you know, very high level learning that a lot of uh, great apes and lesser apes can do. So we're related to them. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget that because they kind of can, you know, they run on all fours and they spend a lot of times up in the trees and things like that. And so we just, I think we, we don't give them the credit that they deserve. And there's a wonderful places like the Duke Lemur Center that are really researching them and the lemur conservation foundation, which I'll talk about at the end of the podcast as well here in Florida, the great state of Florida. My husband works with them uh, frequently Mm -hmm. that are, you know, figuring out a lot of behaviors and uh, researching how best that are spending a lot of time researching lemurs and their under natural conditions and trying to learn not only about their social behavior, but things about their intelligence and how they forage and uh, social structure. Yeah. It's just, they're super cool. And, and we, we need to, we need to talk more lemurs on this podcast for sure. I'm still astonished when you said they had six. I did not know that, which is amazing. I would have thought twins, maybe, you know, who doesn't want twins? <laughs> you, <laughs> but uh, you know, our singletons, yeah. six, six, that's insane. So, how do they differ, I guess, reproductively versus some of the other species we've covered? No, Chris, you're right. The, it, it was a little bit mind-blowing for me as far as their reproductive physiology and some of their reproductive behaviors. So in general, the specific reproductive physiology and courtship behaviors and things like that are going to, they're going to differ slightly, um, mm-hmm. from as we, as you move from lemur species to lemur species and and with so many species, there's a lot we still don't know. Um, but luckily, red rough lemurs are pretty well studied because they're just so gorgeous and people love them and we're trying to fight hard for uh, their conservation. But it's known that they are uh, polygonous. However, some studies suggest that they may have monogamous pairs in small when they're in smaller groups. So okay. it could be a different strategy depending on if they're a smaller group during the dry season or in a larger group Mm -hmm. during the, um, during the wet season. And some of these field study reports or discrepancies of whether they're polygonous or monogamous might be due to the fact that red rough lemurs are known to breed during the dry season in Madagascar, which is from May to July. And so therefore if they are, if they are breaking off in these smaller groups of sometimes even two animals, that perhaps those ones are staying monogamous versus other others ones that might be staying polygamous. But the the jury's still out. So sounds like an mm-hmm, awesome mm-hmm. research project for a PH a budding young PhD student. Uh but what I found nuts, Chris. Just nuts. I did not know this. I bet my husband John doesn't know this either. I can't wait to quiz him later mm-hmm. on. The groups during the breeding season may engage in breeding for up to three months during the breeding season, which for the record, it's important to point out that typical primate species like apes and chimpanzees and things mm-hmm. like that, they don't have a breeding season. No, you're So around. this yeah. also sets lemurs apart from other species of monkeys or, mm-hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. 
uh, or great apes because they have this breeding season and they're receptive for about three months. But the female, wait for it, is only fertile for one day. What? Out of three months? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> I think crazy. there's still probably a lot of unknowns about wow. all of that, but yeah, very, very interesting. So, um, I wonder what's causing what will happen yes. is for their courtship, what happens is the male will monitor the female for signs of estrus. Um, and then of course that's probably through pheromones and scent glands mm. and other chemical signals. And he'll, when he's trying to seduce her, he'll, uh, He'll approach her pretty submissively, might do a little squealing, and mm-hmm. he'll also leave his own scent around, let her know, like, hey, I'm here. And, uh, <laughs> some good stink for you. This is some good stink. And then he'll sniff her and he'll check out her stinky, stinky smell. And mm-hmm. then basically there'll be a lot of vocalizations. They'll start emitting a shrieking chorus with the females, and then they they start rubbing their bodies against each other. And voila, the magic happens. <laughs> so pretty cute stuff there. Uh, but yeah, and they'll, like I said, they'll probably breed more frequently. But yes, she's only fertile for that one day. So Wow, and, wow, wow. And what's also unique about the red rough lemur is she actually has a shorter gestation period than a lot of other lemurs. And who knows, this might be based on the climate that they live on, the area of Madagascar. But her gestation is only 90 to 103 dates. And this is particularly wow, okay. brief for a primate with that body size. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so she'll give birth to anywhere from, like I've said, to up to six infants. And the average is, the average is three. So sometimes okay. it can be one, it can be two, but the average is three. Just, yeah. just crazy. And because of this shorter gestation period based on her size, at birth, the infants are not capable of grasping onto the mother. And so what happens is red rough lemurs are the only diurnal primates in the world that keep their infants in a nest because hmm. they're, like I said, they're somewhat undeveloped. And right, right. this is not typical for other lemurs. So researchers think it has to do something with a short gesta- shorter gestation period. They're right. not sure. And what the mother will do is after a week or two, she'll transport them to another nest. And so she just picks them up and carries them one by one to another nest. And the nests are made up in the trees, 10 to 20 meters above the forest floor. They're made with twigs or leaves, vines, sometimes even fur, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Left over from probably some of their grooming. Really, Mm -hmm. really interesting. Mm -hmm. And days... Wait for it because here comes, we got Papa Lemur, Daddy Lemur as a role. Yeah. Which is also really okay. cool. Mm-hmm. In days following the birth, when the mother needs to leave the nest to eat or whatever, the infant's father will stand guard right clo- close by the nest protecting his offspring, which good, is pretty good. unique and very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so... The infants do catch up and after a few weeks, three to four weeks, they start developing really rapidly and then they can start following their mother on their own and they don't have to stay in the nest. And then once the infants get a little bit older, the father won't really stick around too much watching them. The moms will engage in this behavior called parking or a park behavior where they basically just park their infants in a nest 
nearby and then they go on and forage. And a lot of the other lemurs in the family group will kind of keep a little bit of an eye on them as well. So really, really cool social just cooperation, if you will, to keep these infants mm-hmm. alive. Um, and then after about three or four weeks, they're capable of following their mom. Um, but how it's really sad though, uh, the infant mortality rate, um, uh, from a lot from falls out of the nest, 10 to 20 meters, yeah. um, or just falls from being high up in the canopy, uh, is about 65% failed to make it to three months of age. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that many, offspring, you know, that's, it's their strategy, right? Yeah. It's tough. But if they can make it up to four months of age, they're, they're good and they'll be weaned. And then the offspring will reach sexual maturity when they're about two years old. And after that time, they typically do breed about once per year. Well, I mean, and you know, so a lot of challenges, you know, leading into conservation that organizations that we want to cover real quick. I mean, the Red Ruffs, thankfully, the ones in the Masola National Park that was created in 1997. So that was 20 years ago. That has helped protect them. But the ones outside this park are the ones that are really in deep trouble, you know, where there's a lot of illegal logging, all the things we talked about. So we don't know the population, but we do know it's decreasing. You know, anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand, probably a guess in there somewhere. But IUCN does have them as critically endangered, which means they're on their way to extinction. But, but Angie, there are organizations out there. Yes, yeah. Chris. Oh, great news! Uh, as you mentioned, people care a lot about Madagascar. How can you not with its uh, biodiversity? And of course, lemurs are just incredible. There's so many different species. We'll have to maybe hold um a contest or something where people can vote on the next species of lemurs we do because there's so many cool ones and just so many favorites out there. But two of the organizations I want to highlight this week because I couldn't pick. I was going back and forth. I'm like, oh, mm. shit. Yeah. So I just said, you know what? I'll let uh, you be the judge. First and foremost, it's going to be the Lemur Conservation Foundation. They can be found at www.lemurreserve.org or on Facebook and other social media um, platforms as well. But I had to pick the Lemur Conservation Foundation because they're in Florida and they're an incredible, Mm -hmm. incredible AZA accredited facility in Florida and my uh, second home state or my adopted, my adoptive home state located in Mayaca city, Florida, there are 130 acres. This place is no joke. Uh, John's been down there before. Uh, they do a little bit of work mm. with the zoo and they'll send some of the zoo students down there for internships. Uh, but it's just phenomenal. They have a ton of acreage and they basically utilize scientific study. And one of their founding missions, besides protecting and conserving the uh, several species of lemurs, is to use scientific study to understand more about their behavior, their foraging systems, and how better to protect them. So they have huge inhabited acre, beautiful. It's, I mean, this is Southwest Florida. It's just stunning down here. They have huge forests that are basically fenced in, which is just an incredible place for the lemurs to live and be free ranging for the most part. And they have managed breeding programs. 
They have an educational center. They have a training center. They support a ton of research in Madagascar and a lot of mm-hmm. local research where researchers can go stay on site and work on scientific projects, you know, whether it's lemur intelligence or lemur, lemur vocalizations, things like that. Uh, and it's just incredible for field research scientists to be, have that opportunity. So we'll put a link to their website on our show notes, but yes, Lemur Conservation Foundation is incredible. They're great with working with students. They have an amazing website uh, and they're just all about education and research and preserving and conserving lemur conservation. So an amazing facility. And secondly, Chris and I need to go on a road trip to North Carolina to I know, visit I know. the Duke Lemur Center. Uh, I know, which, it's so amazing. They're uh, amazing. Right? Uh, and, and the Duke Lemur Center can be found at lemur.duke.edu or on Facebook or other social media platforms. They have a beautiful website. And the Duke Lemur Center is an 85-acre sanctuary for rare and endangered lemurs. It's the largest sanctuary for lemurs in the world. And it's an internationally acclaimed non-invasive research facility that houses over 200 lemurs and 14 different species. And it's just incredible. It's open to the public. Okay. So if you're in the area in Durham, North Carolina, which is a place I would love to live if I could get a job there in the research triangle, I've got family there. It's just amazing. Um, but it's open to the public and they have, they educate more than 32,000 visitors annually. And they have a very successful conservation pro- uh, breeding program uh, where they're learning all about several different species, the eye-eye, the blue-eyed black lemur, as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, Chris, and trying to not only study and learn more about lemurs um, at the facility, but also they work with Madagascar and all these conservation projects to help protect lemurs, help work with local people in Madagascar to basically keep their native habitat around so that the lemurs can live there. Uh, and they, and there's so much you can do there and so many different ways you can help. And their website's just incredible. And the one thing you, the reason you and I need to go on a road trip is because they have the ability for visitors to go on a walkabout with lemurs. So it's a, it's an experience that's not open to all, yeah. of course, all of the guests and they have a cre- they have an amazing educa- educational facility there, but you, um, as on a certain private tour, you can go on a walkabout with lemurs and the red, the red rough lemurs are just all around and you cannot touch them, but they can touch yeah. you. So yeah, I know to I told you, you, I opened it up. Yeah. With, you know, Pip in England got to do that. I, me and the boys in New Zealand got to see it at Hamilton Zoo that they're finding lemur interactions, you know, are, are really bringing in money. You know, people pay yeah. for that experience and you get to interact with the animals, but you can't like grab them or anything like that. But it, it's still promoting conservation, raising money. Like the Duke Lemur Center is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And if you can't visit it because you don't live locally, um, you can send a lemur present, which is pretty cool. They have an Amazon wish list. And a great recommendation they have on their website, Chris, is to basically plant a local pollinator garden at your home or school that will help mm-hmm. out your local po- pollinators because 
obviously lemurs are not the only species or pollinator species that are in crisis right now. So, and of course, in your own lawn and garden, you know, don't use chemicals and uh, just be really considerate. And that's a way that you can not necessarily, you know, for very low cost without necessarily traveling to Madagascar or traveling to North Carolina, a way that you can help out. And so, uh, well, and that's uh, I, as I say, that's a great way to to tie up the podcast today because we talked about, you know, what can you do? What can you do? You hear these stories, and it's like, oh my goodness, this animal's going extinct, and you feel helpless. Well, if we all do our part, we plant a garden for pollinators in our backyard, no matter where we live, because we have listeners all over the world. You know, you're going to help out your local environment, and then in turn you're going to help make the world a better place. You plant trees, you plant gardens, you make your gardens, you know, safe for other animals. And 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 we all do this. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked too about in the beginning of the podcast, as far as instead of giving a gift of socks, even though I need socks or a Mm -hmm. book, even though Mm -hmm. I love books of giving uh, or donating to a conservation organization in someone's name. But if that's not for you, or maybe in addition to that, give somebody a tree. A seed. If you yeah. can't afford a tree, because they can be, yeah. give them a seed. I mean, yeah. there's so yeah. much you can do for the environment and thus for wildlife without right. spending a lot of money, especially right. during the right. holiday right. seasons, right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, for for us, it's uh, another amazing species. You know, we're going to get away from the African region here pretty soon with the species. You we be have careful planned, there, but... Sunny. <laughs> it's still amazing. I just don't want to do them all, and then we have nothing. You know, in a year, we're like, oh, it, it's it's Madagascar is somewhere we definitely will revisit here quickly soon. You know, I think the fossa will be next on the plate for for looking there, and, and probably you know going into 2020, a species we'll look at doing, but. You know, the red rough lemurs, they're amazing. Enjoy seeing them at accredited zoos throughout the world. And they definitely need our attention. So we're going to keep our eyes to Madagascar and see what's going on there and, and see hopefully things are improving. But again, for, from us, thank you for listening. Just again, share this knowledge, share this podcast. That's how we're growing. Thank you so much. And we'll be back next week with another species. Thank you, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.